Hello and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. Um, we are back today on the saddle talking about the Ten Commandments, continuing our series through Preggers um, series, video series on the Ten Commandments. We're going to be picking up on what we would consider the second commandment. He would consider something else, um, which would be the commandment to have no other gods um, before the one true God. Um, and I'll go ahead and read the passage that this will be from. One thing that Prager doesn't do is really go into the text much. Uh, he'll read certain or quote, maybe a paraphrase or something uh, from it that he won't dive into the text itself. So I'll go ahead and read uh, Exodus 23 through 6. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And this is um, a pretty well-known passage. It establishes monotheism, um, that God is alone to be worshipped, and that there is only one God, that other gods are false. You look in Isaiah, you can see this very clearly. Those who make idols are stupid and foolish because they're chasing after something that's not real instead of chasing after the creator and worshiping the creator. Um, so this is establishing that only the one true God is to be worshiped and that we shouldn't be making um, images that replace him. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at uh, today with Prager. Um, and, you know, this passage is definitely um, does comes with its own controversy even among christians um you know with regards to what does it mean to have images and things like that um but whatever view you take at the very least it's clear that god alone is to be worshipped and that there are no other gods isaiah 42 8 i am the lord that is my name my glory i give to no other nor my praise to carved idols so he won't give up the right of god um, and the glory that he has as creator and the right that he has as creator to anything else but himself. And he has that right because he is the creator and he alone is to be worshipped. So there is that righteous jealousy that is there um, that God shows in the scriptures um, and there's severe punishment for worshiping um, other gods. So we're going to look at um, what Prager is going to uh, talk about with regards to this commandment. And we'll just put our commentary in the video. Um, is there anything you want to add, Sean, before we dive in? Not as a uh, um, like a, a preface, but as we go in, I'll have plenty to say. All right. Let's discuss the second commandment according to the oldest, that is the Jewish enumeration of the Ten Commandments. In Christian tradition, it's the first commandment. The most common translation begins, you shall have no other gods before me. The commandment then goes on to prohibit both making idols and worshiping idols. Most people, when they think of this commandment, understandably think that it only prohibits the worship of idols and the worship of gods, such as the ancient pagan gods of rain, of fertility, all the other nature gods, and chief gods, such as the Roman Jupiter and the Greek Zeus. However, there's a major problem. Yep. So... I think at this point, I'll, I'll probably just dive into uh, why I, I don't think it's appropriate to combine the first and second commandment. Um, 
that they are actually separate commandments. Um, he basically says that the, the part on idols is an extension or an enumeration of the first commandment there. Um, you shall have no other gods uh, before me, which they're related in, in one sense, but I don't think that that captures entirely um, what's going on and uh, that they should be treated as separate commandments. So just for some some biblical evidence for this very quickly, um, Leviticus 25, 55 through 26, 2, um, here uh, God enumerates two of the Ten Commandments. For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall make you no idol, no idols, nor graven images. Neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall ye... Set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbath, Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. So here we just see the commandment without reference to any, uh, without reference to um, you shall have no other gods before me. It's just a prohibition against idols, which would be a little bit odd if these were, if this was just an extension or an explanation to the um, first commandment you would expect it to say uh, you shall have no other gods before me so it's interesting that this is used as just a standalone um a standalone commandment and um you'll note just by the language here it's prohibiting idols period it's not just prohibiting idols of false gods of pagan gods it's saying you shall not make any of these images um and we would we would understand this as prohibiting also images of the true God. Um, this is a commandment that's really about how the true God is to be worshipped, and that's why I think there's a distinction between the commandments. Um, the first commandment is saying you will have no other gods before me. I am the true God. The second commandment is actually a, a commandment that involves how God is to be worshipped, and He's not to be worshipped by idols. And I think this is a little bit uh, clear in uh, Deuteronomy 4, 12 through 19. Um, and this is Moses speaking uh, to the children of Israel. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. Ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. Only ye heard a voice. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform even ten commandments. And he wrote them upon two tables of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that ye might do them in the land, whether ye go over to possess it. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spoke unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, and the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. Unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun, the moon, and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, thou should be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. So here God's logic is, or Moses's logic, but this is the word of God, so we understand that it's God's logic. God didn't present himself in any image when he spoke to the children of Israel because he didn't want them to make an image. 
and therefore corrupt themselves. So there's something inherently corrupting about making an image even of the true God. Um, so we understand that this commandment is also prohibiting images of the true God, not merely of false gods, but of true gods. God is not to be worshipped in this way. And um, another example I want to sort of bring up in this, and I recognize this might be a little bit more controversial because I don't think most people understand the golden calf incident the way that I do. Um, but I do think that this is probably the proper understanding of it. Um, I think the golden calf incident um, isn't, God isn't angry with the Israelites for making a golden calf because they were worshiping a foreign God, but because they were trying to worship him as a golden calf. Um, so to read the passage real quick, this is Exodus 32, 1 through 6. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down uh, out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, oh, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as uh, for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we uh, know not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off uh, golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he made it, uh, after he made, had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron make, made proclamation and said tomorrow is a feast to the lord and they rose up early on the morrow and offered and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play so uh many translation renders um it as plural gods here which is why people have the understanding like oh they're they're making a, a pagan god here but the uh the hebrew word elohim can actually refer to the God of the Bible, singular. I think it's it's plural because it's probably a nod at the Trinity, but um, oftentimes the word Elohim is just used to refer to the God of the Bible. It's context that determines whether um, we should translate this as plural or singular. Uh, similarly to the word sheep, right? You can have the word, uh, you can say the sheep is lost or the sheep are lost. Um, it's context, which lets you know, okay, am I dealing with one sheep or multiple sheep? And I think contextually, we've got a number of clues that indicate to us that um, uh, God, gods should actually be translated as God here. Um, for example, um, you have one calf. Only one calf is made. So it would be a little bit odd to render it as gods when there's only one god there. There's a golden calf. And also you have the, um, the proclamation that from Aaron that tomorrow is a feast the Lord. And underneath that, the English word Lord, there is the divine name Jehovah. Um, it it's, would be odd for them to make a pagan deity and then all of a sudden say, oh, well, this feast where we're going to be sacrificing it is uh, sacrificing to it is a feast unto the Lord. If you're about to abandon the God of Israel, why would you do that? Um, and if we go back to the beginning, their concern is not that God has actually abandoned them. Their concern is Moses is gone. Um, that Moses, they don't know what happened to Moses, and they're worried about somebody who would go before them like Moses had gone before them. So it would make sense 
okay, not that they're rejecting God, but that they're rejecting Moses and they're trying to replace him something. In this case, they're trying to replace him with an image of God so that they can um, worship God directly and have direct access to God. So if this is what they're doing and God is angry at them making a golden calf, as we see later in the chapter, he's angry with them attempting to make a representation of him. That's that's wrong. Um, So if that's the case, then we can understand the the commandment as being a reference as not merely a reference to false gods, but also a reference to true um, to making images of the true God. And at that point, it's a separate idea from you shall have no other gods before me. It's a this is how I am not to be worshipped. I'm not to be worshipped by making idols of me or any sort of idol. so for anybody who who thinks that it's a who says, oh, when I, I bow down to an image of a saint, you know, I'm worshiping the true God. No, no. God has prohibited that, that sort of way of thinking. You're not to make any images. He's not to be worshiped in any way regarding that. And as we saw in, in Deuteronomy, that always leads to some sort of corruption of the person. Um, so that's why I think that these should be uh, treated as two separate commandments because they're really dealing with two separate ideas. I don't know if you had any uh, comments about that, Dan. No, um, I think that's helpful that you brought up that passage on similitude, but that um, in terms of God not showing himself and that uh, I think that helps understand, helps us to see what is being talked about in the, uh, in the second commandment. Um, You know, I don't think that this is forbidding necessarily any image um, obviously if it was any image, we couldn't take pictures of anything. We couldn't yeah. have art. Um, it's really the, the central theme is worship, right? We're making exactly. images of God to worship. We're making images of, of Christ to worship. And that's where, you know, the, the iconic, um, issues like in the Eastern Orthodox church, the Roman Catholic church come and become a real problem because those are really images that are used in their worship. And we mm-hmm. would say that's very problematic um, yeah. and a violation of the second commandment. Yeah, um, I don't. So that, that is helpful. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think this is a prohibition of any sort of image ever um, because it's always connected with worship or it'll say you shall not bow down to them and serve them. Um, you're actually going to run into a contradiction if you take that view, because I can't remember if it's also in Exodus 20 or literally the next chapter, but it's very close after the giving of the commandment in Exodus that um, God commands them to make the, uh, the uh, ark and says that uh, on the ark, there will be um, two winged cherubim and that they're to make winged cherubim. So are you, is God going to contradict himself in the space of a chapter that um, like, Oh, you can't make images, but make images here. Well, in that case, what's the difference? Well, the Israelites were not commanded to bow down and to serve the uh, the images of the um, the cherubim, uh, but the commandment is a prohibition against making images that one is going to bow down and serve, and that's why we have a problem with, um, say, Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy, because it's not merely that you've made an image of some saint. I don't I don't have an inherent issue with that, but what do you see? You have you do see people crossing themselves in front of it, bowing down to them, lighting candles around them. Um, serving them by like carrying them on procession. You you see all these sorts of things, which are part of the prohibition against making 
images because they have now become a form of worship to you. And um, it doesn't matter that you're saying, oh, I'm worshiping the one true God through this. The one true God has forbidden this type of worship, period. Um, and that's why you're, you're not to do it. And as, as we read in Deuteronomy, again, um, you do this and it is inherently corrupting to you. Um, the one true God doesn't need an image of himself to be worshipped. We might think that we need an image to, uh, to understand him or relate to him. But God is spirit and we don't need to, re- to see in order to relate. Um, it re- reminds me of the passage um, Jesus said to, to Thomas after his, he doubted. Blessed are your eyes, for you've seen, or um, oh, what is it exactly? It's um, Thomas, you've seen and believed. Blessed are those that have not seen and believed. Um, so uh, Christian uh, Christianity is a faith that doesn't require seeing to believe, and um, God has prohibited that. And Christ is that medium by which the Father is revealed, and we see the yeah. Father through Him. Yeah. So we don't we don't need any other images yeah. to. Uh, to produce yeah. uh, on our own that provide us that picture of who God is in his essence. Um, Jesus gives us kind of that, that medium for us as, as human beings to be able to, to see that through his word and through his works and in the incarnation. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's so easy to do. I, I think, you know, it, and I Prager is going to talk about this in a minute in terms of idolatry is not just limited to, uh, idols of stone, idols of wood, but it's things that we can create in and of ourselves that are might be good in and of themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess we can we can move on and talk about that. Idolatry comes in many different forms, not just uh, the making of a golden calf. Right? We can worship things that uh, and give praise to things in a way that we should only give praise and do to God, and that's really the issue of idolatry. We're giving praise, worship, attention to something in a way that we should only be giving to God. We're treating something else as God. And that's really Mm -hmm. the issue of idolatry. With this understanding of the commandment, since no one today worships these gods, let alone worships idols made of stone. Eh, yeah, there's plenty. There's ever seen uh, Eastern religions. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was kind of a strange comment. I was like, have you been to Asia? I mean, have you seen what yeah. they do? Yeah, there's there's still plenty of idol worship going on. Most people think that this commandment is irrelevant to modern life. The irony, however, is that this commandment is not only relevant to modern life, it is in many ways the mother of all the other commandments. Why is it so relevant today? Because today we have as many... Now, I would agree with that in principle. I think it is setting the stage for the rest of the commandments you know where it's establishing we talked about this before we worship god first and then the other commandments um flow from that so this is really establishing what the other commandments about worship will be pointing to we're to worship god alone god alone is deserving of our praise and that's going to show itself in not taking his name in vain and in keeping the sabbath um, but this commandment, and I would even add maybe the first commandment too, are laying that groundwork for what worship looks like fundamentally and what our lives towards our fellow men are going to uh, are going to look like as well. So I would agree. With, I think that's a helpful statement um, 
in principle, I think the first two commandments embody that. False gods, as the ancients did. And why is it the mother of all the other commandments? Because if we identify false gods and avoid worshiping them, we will eliminate one of the greatest barriers to a good world, false gods. So let's begin by defining. Now, this is where, again, Prager starts to veer off from the spiritual side of the law and focus merely on the societal impacts. Um, it, he won't talk about, at least from what I recall, he's not going to talk about why it's important that we don't, from a spiritual perspective, worship false gods and wh- how that impacts our fellow man. It's really just, if we get rid of false gods and idols, we'll have a free society. Our society will be fixed. This is the, you know, kind of the zenith of society. If we just get rid of false gods, we follow the Ten Commandments, our society will be uh, where it should be. Um, divorcing it from its spiritual significance of worshiping God alone. So he's continuing this theme um, uh, as he goes to the yeah. Ten Commandments. And it's it's important to recognize oftentimes people will say things that are true, but it's not the entire truth, and therefore right. it's false. Right. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of a personal example, actually. Um, before I, I was a Reformed Baptist, I was actually attending a very liberal Lutheran church. Um, and at, at a certain point, I recognized that something was wrong, but being recently saved, actually, um, I couldn't figure out what it was because I would listen to the sermons and I'm like, oh, well, that's true. That's true. That's true. But still something was off. And then eventually I came to the conclusion that it's because they don't preach the gospel. The gospel is completely missing. There's a lot of moralism here. Um, and moralism in a sense is true. Like, okay, well, we should do this. It'll it'll lead to to good effects. You know, we don't want to hurt our neighbor and all that. Um, But without the gospel, it is wrong because, moralism can't save you moralism like for me to be a, a minister a supposed minister of god and only preach to you morals um and not address your um your need of a savior need for um dealing with your sin then i presented to you a, a, a truth that's incomplete as to be as to be false I've, I've withheld from you the most important thing so when it comes back to prager we're not saying, at least in this section, that a lot of what, a lot of what he says is okay, it's correct, but because it's he's focusing on something that we would say is not even the most important thing, it's it's wrong because you you you've left out the significant portion. Um, yeah, nobody... he's really yeah, that's a good point. Unbelievers can say true things and and be right on on a lot yeah. of things, but if when the, especially when you're talking and. In this context, when you're trying to use a spiritual um, a spiritual principle that's meant to primarily be spiritual and then apply it merely in the physical, um, you're going to run into all kinds of problems. And it it does become untrue in that sense, in the sense that they're not telling the whole truth. They're they're leaving out core aspects of what it is that they're trying to present, misapplying it. Um, yeah. So he he again Prager sees the law as just a good guide for society this is the standards that society should follow divorced yeah. from its spiritual significance even from a jewish perspective yeah yeah um because from a jewish perspective uh from like a conservative theolo- conservative theological jewish perspective you would expect god to be the focus 
the reason why we're doing this is not merely for us, but because God is worthy to be worshipped, or at least that's what I would expect. I haven't done an in-depth study of Judaism to know if that's actually what's taught, but you would expect that. Well, Prager that believes be that if you're good enough, you know, I guess that's maybe the extent of the spiritual significance okay. of the law, at least from these, yeah. what we gather from these videos is, you know, that if you're good enough, whether you are a converted Jew or not, you'll make it into heaven. And so yeah. if you have a society that's built around um, the, the law of God, which is he sees as the moral standard, then you get more people into heaven. You you get uh-huh. more people on the right path, whether or not they become a Jew is irrelevant, but they'll get to the right place eventually. So we have to change everybody. We have to make people good. We have to make people better according to the standard, but merely mere outward obedience and change um, when you're trying to push a spiritual um, principle upon people is not going to do that. And we believe as reformed Baptists and, and reformed generally believe this, that uh, unbelievers, even the good things that they do outwardly while they are good, you know, per se, um, it, as in relation to God, they're sinful because they're not done with the proper heart. They're not done uh, in a way that is pleasing to God. They're totally depraved. They're completely corrupt. They're, they cannot do good in and of themselves. So his anthropology is also um, off here. And these are just these subtle assumptions that are being made as he's saying seemingly simple things in a five-minute video. There's so much packed into here that's assumed. Um, yeah. that you kind of have to peel back and go, wait, no, this assumption's bad, that assumption's bad, etc. Yeah, no, the law itself says in Deuteronomy, I want to say it's um, 32, but I can't exactly remember. Um, it says, cursed be everyone that keepeth not all the commandments. All perfectly. Of the law. Yeah, and that's not merely the Ten Commandments, although we've all broken the Ten Commandments, so it's right. not like, um, it's not like, well, I can just restrict it to that. But um, there's more than just the Ten Commandments in the law given in Deuteronomy. There's there's specific um, specific things that we'd ultimately say map back to one of the Ten Commandments. But um, no, God's standard is perfection. How else could it be? Um, if it wasn't perfection, if he, he was okay with some evil, then he himself would be evil. Um, so God cannot cannot just merely overlook evil. It needs something needs to be done with it. Um, and that's that's why we're Christians, because um, Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Um, and we we um, by believing in him, our sins are, are dealt with and uh, we are accredited with um, Christ's righteousness. So that is the only way that we can be right with God. And it's through an act that God himself did. Amen. Being a false God. The point of biblical monotheism is that there is only one God and that only this God, the creator of the universe, who demands that we keep these Ten Commandments, is to be worshipped. Why? First, because one God means one human race. Only if we all have the same creator or father, as it were, are we all brothers and sisters. Second, having the same parent also means that no person or group is intrinsically more valuable than any other. And third. So, I don't like his language of uh, uh, we are all brothers and sisters. As we said in a previous podcast, that's not, that's not theologically accurate. But um, this is not 
this is not the place I would, this is not the commandment I would start talking about this. Um, because I mean, it, it, it is true in a sense that God is our creator and we're to treat each other's in, treat each other in accordance with that truth. I absolutely believe that. But these, these two commandments are focused on God. So in a, in a five minute video on it, like I wouldn't even spend the time to talk about it. I mean, in a longer extension, yeah, sure, I, I could talk about it. But in a five-minute video, I want to focus on what these commandments are focused on. And they are focused on the exclusivity of God and how he is to be worshipped. Um, and there's plenty of, plenty to discuss in that. So this is really just showing his pragmatism here. Oh, well, you know, these commandments will lead to a better world. And theoretically, if they were to always be followed, they would lead to a better world. But we do them not merely for their pragmatic benefits, but because God is worthy to be worshipped. So. Yeah, it's it seems like a, a far stretch to try and say, well, this means that we're all one human race. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe by long implication, you could say that in the sense that there's one God, one creator. Mm-hmm. We're all created in the image of God. Sure. But like you said, that's not the point of this particular passage. Yeah. You it's, can derive that from other places, but you here can, it's worship. Yeah. It's about God. Yeah. You can derive it by implication from here, although I'd rather go to somewhere where it was explicitly being right. talked about, like early chapters of Genesis or, or whatever, you know, um, to focus solely on the implications of a passage, ignoring, I mean, not completely ignoring, because he's, he's talked about it a little bit, but making the primary uh, the primary part of the passage derived from the implications of that passage is wrong. It's wrong exegetically. It's wrong. Like we would never, we would never read any other writing and look at the implications of something. Um, and not like direct implications, but a couple things removed implications and focus only on that to the, the exclusion of what the, the writing was trying to say. It's just, it's just not right. Um, but people do it with God's word all the time because they're not interested in the truth that it's actually trying to convey. Yeah, exactly. And I don't have a problem with um, saying that we are brothers and sisters in the sense of creation. Um, if you want to use that that terminology loosely and qualified, okay. I don't think it's very precise language, and there's, I think there's it's probably better not to use it. But I don't know mm-hmm. if I'd say it's outright false. Um, well, at the very least, the Bible itself doesn't use that language. That doesn't mean that I can't use it because uh, I use language that's not in the Bible all the time. Yeah, yeah. I just prefer to stick to the, the biblical paradigm that God is only our father um, if we are reconciled to him, if we are adopted into his family. And therefore, we are only brothers and sisters to our um, to ourselves in the truest sense if we are in Christ. Right. Um, Obviously, I have I have physical family members that are my family members, whether they're saved or not. That's not really the, the point. And I can call them. Oh, this is my mother. This is my father. This is my brother. This is my sister. I can I can do that. Um, but in the truest sense, um, they're not um, my brothers and sisters are my brothers and sisters in uh, in Christ. Uh, one is by blood and the other is by his blood and his blood is far more uh, important. One God means one moral standard for all people. If God declares murder wrong, it is wrong for everyone. And you can't go to another God 
for another moral standard. When anything else is worshipped, bad things result. Not only things that can obviously lead to evil, such as the worship of power, or race, or money, or flag, but also things that are almost always seen as quite beautiful, such as art, or education, or even love. Yes, any of these often wonderful things, when worshipped, can lead to terrible results. And we agree with that. Um, you know, that, that it, it's definitely true that if you worship something else, I mean, you see what, the example we gave with the Israelites with the golden calf, the people died um, and sin, uh, spiritual deadness resulted from that. Um, and we can certainly worship things that are not God and they can be idols. Uh, Paul makes this very clear. Um, I, I believe it's in Colossians 3 where he talks about covetousness as being idolatry, desiring what somebody else has for yourself, things, whatever that or power, whatever it might be that isn't yours. Um, and desiring those things in an improper way, that's idolatry. You're put, you're worshiping those things and desiring those things in a way um, that is problematic, in a way that only God should be desired and worshiped. And it can lead to terrible results. I mean, if you're if you covet something so much, you might kill somebody for what they have, or you might steal something that is not yours. Um, so we would agree with these principles. But again, he's using this to show that if we worship only God and uh, we don't have idols and we're only following these Ten Commandments, devoid of the spiritual significance, we will have a good society. That, again, that's where he's trajectorying with this. Take art. Many of the cruelest humans in history loved beautiful music and art. But as a music lover, I learned early in life the sad fact that great music can be used to inspire people to follow evil just as much as it can be used to inspire people to do good. The great Hollywood director Stanley Kubrick vividly made this point in his classic 1971 film, A Clockwork Orange. In it, men rape and murder while classical music plays in the background. Take education. We all recognize how important education can be from preparing people to be able to find work to understanding the world. But education in and of itself, divorced from the higher ends of God and goodness, can lead and often has led to great evil. Many of the best educated people in Germany supported Hitler and the Nazis. supporters of the genocidal regimes of Stalin in the Soviet Union and Mao in China were highly educated. There is nothing about a PhD that guarantees a person will be wiser, kinder, or more ethical than someone with only a high school education. The same holds true even of love Love, of course, is so often beautiful, but it too can lead to evil. In the 20th century, people who put love of country above love of God and goodness often committed terrible evil. And here's a test for you. Imagine that the pet you love and a stranger, a person you don't know and therefore could not possibly love, are drowning. Do you first try to save your pet 
or the stranger? Well, if love is an end in itself, you save your pet. But if you hold human life as a higher value than love, you won't follow love. This commandment made the ethical revolution of the Bible and of the Ten Commandments, what is known as ethical monotheism, possible. Worship the God of the Ten Commandments, and you will make a good world. Worship a false god, no matter how noble-sounding, and you will end up with a world of cruelty. I'm Dennis Prager. Jo- so it, his last example is interesting um, because I think it ties into concepts of the of the image of God. Um, we we obviously see a differentiation between the animals and and creatures um, because of us being made in the image of God, we are uniquely made in a way that we worship God in a way that the animals don't. Um, and there's something special and unique about us. Um, I thought that was an interesting example, um, you know, where you can idolize love in a way that leads you to twisting the created order um, and making it into something of our own, of our own uh, image. But that really sums up. There really wasn't um, as much, problems overall in this one that we found in the first two videos um but you know i I think it's again it's important to remember where he's coming from the foundation that he is uh the presuppositions that he's coming to the law of god with are not spiritual but merely societal or physical um and i think we're going to continue to see that as we traject to the ten commandments um i haven't watched the next one yet on um, taking God's name in vain. I'm really interested to see what that's going to look like. And I think that's what we'll talk about uh, next week. Um, but Sean, is there anything else you wanted to add? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add. So he's, he's focused on, on evil, right? What's, what's the greatest evil? Um, is the greatest evil merely that I've harmed my neighbor or is the greatest evil that I've harmed my uh, Harmed might not be the right word, but that I've I've uh, done wrong to my God, right? Because that's that's the greater evil. So yep. I I agree that um, you know um, worship of idols leads to harm of neighbor. I absolutely agree with that. Um, but to again focus on that and not focus on like this is wrong. Because the God who is worthy, the God who upholds me, the God who is the reason I'm here, the God that has given me every single good blessing, um, the God who's worthy of my worship, him, have I said, oh, you know, I'm not I'm not going to worship him. I'm going to worship this this created thing or this concept that um, can't even provide what I, I need um, mm-hmm. like that. That's evil. Um, that's that's that is a, a reason why idols are so so offensive to god it's like you're you're worshiping something that you made with your own hands or somebody made you know that can't even provide you with anything that i can provide you and you're saying oh but this thing is worthy to work be worshiped not the true the true god this 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 thing that can't even provide me all the things that i need it's it's horribly offensive i can't even describe how offensive it would be to a holy god um so to have neglected that, and I, I understand what he is. He's a political commentator trying to reshape society. But like if you're trying to reshape society merely on political 
political grounds, you're never going to go anywhere because I'll, I'll be honest to Mr. Prager, you're an idolater. You're an idolater because you have focused on um, these, these political things, uh, reshaping culture rather than God. Um, God is to come first, um, more so than how human being treats how human beings treat each other. That's not to say that we shouldn't be concerned about how human beings treat each other. We should, but that's in light of God. It's not a separate category. Um, so all throughout this video, whether he realizes it or not, he's been engaging in idolatry by not putting the focus on God and um, how he is to be worshipped and what that means, but rather changing the focus and putting it solely on men and how this is supposed to benefit humankind because humankind is, is not the God we serve. God is the God we serve. Yeah. It's kind of a great irony, right? He's speaking about yeah. worshiping God alone, but then he's applying the commandment in such a way that he is doing the very thing he's saying not to do focusing yeah. on man and in the created order yeah. more than focusing on God yeah. giving, giving due course to the creature rather than the creator as Romans one says. Yeah, it, it is actually pretty ironic that he's doing that. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I think that's it for today. Thank you everyone for listening. You can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Check out our blog at the particular baptist.net. And if you're watching on our YouTube channel and have not yet subscribed hit the subscribe button, so you can get our new videos when they uh, become available. Well, with that, everyone, thank you for joining us. And Lord willing, we'll continue our series uh, to the third commandment next week.